the news and views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We now know that there are three students who were fatally wounded as well as three adults inside the school. The 28-year-old woman shot and killed six people at a Christian school in Nashville. This is not the setting that you expect. I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. The players are not the people that you would ordinarily expect. We're a beacon on the hill shining God's truth. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Good afternoon. Lots to talk about. Uh, we'll get to uh, Joe Biden's campaign stop in uh, Durham. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it was. It was a campaign stop. In fact, we've uh, got scheduled uh, Michael Watley, the North Carolina state chair for the Republican Party. We'll be getting his take on it. Uh, boy, there's 24 hours later, there's a lot of aftermath to the uh, shooting that took place in uh, Nashville. And uh, there are a lot of people that just are, d- didn't even know personally these people who, tears come to their eyes as you as you hear about this. Uh, the Daily Wire had a really nice article today, Ministers, Seminaries, and Denominational Entities Across the Nation Pour Out Prayers for Covenant Presbyterian Church and its senior minister, Chad Scruggs. Chad's daughter, nine-year-old little girl, was one of the uh, children that lost uh, her life, two others as well. A 28-year-old woman, as you know, identifying as a man. By the way, uh, my apologies. Yesterday, when the story broke, they were identifying the 28-year-old biological woman as a trans woman. Well, a trans woman would be a biological male, and that's why we reported it as such. But it was a trans man, biological woman. 28-year-old woman identified as a man killed three nine-year-olds, three adults. In the wake of the incident, the nearby Woodmont Baptist Church, a Southern Baptist congregation, unexpectedly became the hub for parents who waited to be reunited with their children. Staff members, including senior minister Nathan Parker, rose to the occasion As pastors, we're supposed to have words, Parker said in an interview. Today was one of those days that words did not come easy. If they came, they came from the Spirit. We're heartbroken. Pastor Chad Scruggs, again, the father of the little girl that lost her life and pastor of the church, quote, through tears we trust as she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. I can't can't even read it without uh, it getting to me. Thousands of Christians took to social media in the wake of the massacre and lifted the Scruggs family in prayer, noting that Scruggs would be faced with comforting and a mourning congregation, even as he lamented the death of his own daughter. John Payne, a senior minister at Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina, asked for his friends to pray earnestly for God's grace to be poured out on this dear family in this time of unspeakable grief. The Nashville Presbytery said in a statement, Words fail us in speaking of this tragedy, even to one another, but our prayers will not fail us in lifting our pleas to God for mercy and the grace that is needed. Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia likewise urged for prayer on behalf of those impacted by the tragedy. We ask that our dear brothers and sisters who have been cast low into darkness of the valley may be by your grace enabled to look upon the mount seeing the light of Christ shine into this great valley of darkness. The Covenant School said on its website that it exists to help children become who God intends for them to be 
and educate them to impact their culture and think in accordance with timeless truth. Our graduates attend the final schools in Nashville where they not only excel academically but also act with character that comes from an authentic faith in Jesus. You talk about having your faith tested. Uh, boy, this is one of those times. Uh, you know, we we you know we go through a financial hardship, and uh, we we ask why God. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do what's right, and I'm going through this hardship. Uh, this Chad Scruggs pastoring this church, doing what he thinks God called him to do, and goes through this. Uh, boy, it's, it is uh, going to be a challenging time, and uh, pray for all of them, but uh, this man who is supposed to be pastoring this church is pastoring this church. Uh, this is going to be a challenging time. The Daily Wire is also reporting uh, some updates this afternoon on the female shooter who killed the six. Metro Nashville Police John Drake told reporters that the shooter was under a doctor's care for the undisclosed disorder, adding that law enforcement knew nothing about treatment. A source close to the family told the Daily Beast that the shooter is also autistic but was high-functioning. The shooter legally purchased seven guns from five different stores, according to police. Her parents, who said they did not want her to own any guns, acknowledged that she knew she had previously sold a firearm but did not know she had owned others. The shooter was reportedly hiding the weapons in her parents' home. The shooter, a former student at the school, had two rifles and one handgun on uh, when she breached the Covenant School on Monday morning, shooting out the glass doors and going through. Um, she was obviously, um, you know, she was death by uh, police suicide. The um, Red State is reporting that she told a childhood friend that I guess she's known for years and years, Audrey Hale, the trans male who uh, opened fire at the school, told, and this is from Red State as well as uh, WTVF in Nashville, at 9.57, a former middle school basketball teammate of Audrey Hale looked at her phone to find a message from the Covenant School shooter on Instagram, Ariana Patton, said she saw the message that Hale planned to die by suicide and that Patton would see it on the news. In the messages Patton provided to News Channel 5, Hale told Patton she would see her again in another life. Hale told Patton about no longer wanting to live and the need to die. One day this will make more sense, Hale wrote. I don't know how that's going to ever happen. I've left behind more than enough evidence, but something bad is about to happen. When Patton told Hale that she had so much to live for, Hale responded with, Quote, I know, but I don't want to live, so I'm sorry. I'm not trying to upset you or get your attention. I just need to die. Patton ended up by uh, calling the police at 1014, but was referred to the department's non-emergency number. Hale died in the confrontation with police at 1027. Quote, I called Nashville's non-emergency line at 1014 and was on hold for nearly seven minutes before speaking with someone who said they would send an officer to an officer to my home, the officer came by at 3.29 in the afternoon. And listen, I, I, I mean, I, I know you say, oh, my goodness, if they had responded quicker. You, you can't blame the police officers for this. I mean, how many of these calls do they get that, uh, yeah, okay, they, sh they should have responded quicker perhaps, but, uh, you, you, I mean, th this lies at the feet of uh, Audrey Hale. 
the trans male suspect. By the way, um, the Trans Resistant Network singled out Hale as the real shooting victim. This out of town hall. A progressive radio host wondered if those killed met their horrific fate because they didn't pray enough. I mean, that, that is clearly a uh, poke in the eye, a slap in the face, a ridicule that you often hear from liberals when they tell you, oh, we need more gun control, we don't need prayers. The Covenant School is a private Christian school. Senator Chris Murphy was more concerned, Democrat from Connecticut, was more concerned about mean tweets being directed at the trans community than the six people who were killed and their families. It's funny how when the shooting fits the narrative, how quick Murphy and others are to point out the weapon, the race, and the call for more gun control, along with the, uh, um, with making fun of those offering words of support and prayers. They're angrier. They cannot weaponize the school shooting against Republicans. Um, there is some other really disturbing stories out today that um, I've got so many here. I'm trying to go through them as I, as I, I share these with you. Andy No, who is a... Um, Online journalist, does a lot of stuff with Twitter and other outlets. He had posted last night about the rhetoric about carrying out revenge and vengeance on society for some states restricting the medical transitioning of minors. Andy No says, through my reporting on hashtag Antifa, I've long observed that this disproportionate number of violent Antifa members are hashtag trans. Still, their rhetoric has become more openly violent recently as they feel emboldened by Democrats in the mainstream left. He also um, tags with that comment a tweet by the Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who is a part of the LGBTQ plus community. She says, to my friends in the LGBTQ plus community, the Supreme Court is coming for us next. This has to be a call to arms. This moment has to be a call to arms, she said. He also posted on April the 1st at 11 o'clock, the trans community is going to assemble outside of the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. They call this, this online poster, We Need More Than Visibility. It's entitled, The Trans Day of Vengeance. Stop Trans Genocide, Trans Day of Vengeance, April the 1st. This... Uh, There, there is a story in in the pile here. Let me see if I can find it by Jonathan Turley. That is extremely disturbing. He's talking about a professor at Wayne State University. It's up in the Detroit area. Yeah, here it is. A professor at Wayne State University 
in Detroit has been suspended after posting threatening statements on social media that suggested that people would be justified in killing speakers who hold opposing views on issues like transgender policies. Folks, listen, this is, you know, when you see these kind of things, coincidence, I don't think so. Again, let me, Jonathan Turley, who is, who is no right-wing fanatic, he writes today on his blog, a professor at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan, has been suspended after posting threatening statements on social media posts that suggest people would be justified in killing speakers who hold opposing views on issues like transgender policies. Wayne State University President Roy Wilson released a statement saying that an unnamed professor in the school's English department made a social media post that, at best, morally reprehensible, at worst, is criminal. College Fix identified that professor as Steve Schaffero, who writes in the areas of film, music videos, and science fiction literature. On one level... Turley writes, a suspension could be viewed as a necessary proactive step to guarantee that there is no real danger in this circumstance. Indeed, we have seen a strikingly different treatment given to academics on the right as opposed to left in such actions. Many conservatives or libertarian professors find themselves suspended or under investigation for controversial tweets or jokes. Conversely, it's comparably rare to see such action against those on the left to use inflammatory language, including professors advocating detonating white people, denouncing police, calling for Republicans to suffer. And, and he's got links to all of these tweets and articles. Strangling pol police officers, celebrating the death of conservatives, calling for the killing of Trump supporters, the supporting of murder of conservative protesters, and other outrageous statements. And every one of those, again, he's got a link to a deeper story verifying, in, in sense, it, the footnotes to those comments that have been on, on social media by liberals and nothing happening. The most, um, bl um, the most blatant case close to what this professor at Wayne University, State University, did is the case of a University of Rhode Island professor, Eric Loomis, who defended the murder of a conservative protester and said that he saw nothing wrong with such acts of violence. Yet those extreme statements from the left are rarely subject to cancel campaigns or university actions. The intent of Dr. Chavero is actually less clear than has been suggested in the press. At the start, Chavero insists he does not advocate violating federal or state criminal codes. He then makes the violent reference as being better than shouting down opposing speakers. He warns that the left is being attacked for canceling speakers when the debate should be over what Severo calls their own reprehensible views. He insists that these efforts to trigger such responses to provoke an incident that discredits the left. Severo makes the extreme argument it's more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. This is a university professor. And we wonder why we have what we have going on here in Nashville. I mean, is, is this person an accomplice? Well, you know, he's never going to be. I mean, he, he might be. He's put on suspension. He ought to be canned. Can you imagine 
if a conservative did this at, the, uh, at one of these liberal universities, he'd be out there so fast his head would spin. We've got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about on this. Stay with us. News and Views continues right after this. A collection of question marks. A lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the whats, and the wheres. Neighborhood by neighborhood. We'll be knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Quick look at your weather forecast. Intervals of clouds and sunshine. Uh. Tomorrow, well, tonight, let's look at that first. Uh, periods of rain, low 44. Chance of rain 100% tonight. Rainfall could be a quarter of an inch. Again, tomorrow, clouds and sunshine, high around 60. Tomorrow night, clear with low of around 40. Thursday, mainly sunny with a high of 63. So rain tonight, just letting you know. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Whether you're looking to... Uh, Get out and have some fun and get some sun. Well, the place to do it is at Ironwood Golf and Country Club. As the weather gets warmer and life gets busier, you deserve time to relax and have some fun. Ironwood Golf and Country Club invites you to become a member and make new traditions with friends and family on the course, in the pool, at the courts, or while enjoying a meal with some beautiful views. Ironwood offers a variety of memberships with no initiation fee required. Contact membership director Jenna Doyle. Become an Ironwood Golf and Country Club member today. Give her a call, 252-752-4653, a part of the Renaissance Golf Group. Remember, when you join Ironwood, you're also automatically a member at the Beaufort Club in Beaufort, Compass Point Golf Club, and Magnolia Greens down near Wilmington. So when you go to the beach, free golf. How's that for a deal? So Cousin Eddie, President Joe Biden, Visited Durham today to lost <laughs> he has lost to launch his investing in American tour. The three week tour across the country is meant to highlight how Joe Biden's administration's economic policies are helping Americans and what is at stake if the Republicans repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. Basically, what Joe did today was a campaign stop that you you the taxpayer paid for. Uh, he touched down in uh, at uh, RDU at about 12:45. Went over and toured Wolf Speed as a chip maker manufacturer at uh, 1:25. Spoke at 2:30. Spoke for I don't know about 40 minutes or so. Uh, all taxpayer paid campaign stop. I mean, it was just let me pat myself on the back. I hope he didn't strain himself. You know, there was two major points that he wanted to make the, and and act as if he was the the guy that uh, solved the problems. One was, he, he pointed out that manufacturing had left the United States, and now it's coming back. Well, listen, uh, Mr. President, it left the United States because of high taxes and burdensome regulations, and it wasn't you that started to bring them back. It was clearly Donald Trump and his lowering taxes and deregulation. And then he, then he actually started bragging about the supply chain. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable that he would go there with Pothole Pete as his transportation secretary. He started bragging about uh, how the, the supply chain is now being cured. To talk about the uh, president's visit to the Triangle, with us right now is State Chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, 
Michael Watley. Michael, thanks for joining us again. It is great to be on with you. So how do you uh, take this? Was it more than a campaign stop? or uh, I'm surprised he didn't actually announce his official uh, declaration to run for re-election. No, it was very clearly a, a campaign stop. And, and like much that we have heard and are going to see, it really is untethered from reality. You know, uh, the, the reason that we have companies like this that are moving to North Carolina is because we are the most business-friendly state in the country uh, for, for new companies. And that's why people want to move here is because our tax system, because we have great uh, infrastructure, because we've got, you know, uh, the, the schools that are strong, because of all of the changes that the state legislature has put in since the Republicans took over in 2010. Uh, and so him trying to take credit for, you know, what our legislature has put in place uh, is, is dismaying. The other thing that's really a big disconnect is that his economic policies uh, that have, have driven up uh, gasoline prices and energy prices uh, have, have sent uh, inflation to a 40-year high uh, are hurting North Carolina families right now. Yeah, uh, they're hurting North Carolina farms and North Carolina small businesses. And, you know, it is uh, dismaying uh, to have him crowing about economic activity when his policies are directly hurting North Carolina families across the state. It was uh, interesting that he never brought up the inflation issue. and uh, But it was, I don't know if you had a chance to hear all of it. I just heard the highlights. I watched it online, and it was clearly orchestrated. I mean, you know, he had somebody introduce him that just sat there and showered him with praise. When you, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to conceive. It seems like, I mean, we just got over the November election, and now we're, we're ramping up to the uh, next general election. Do, do you think Joe is going to run again? I mean, is is he actually, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe he would even make it through his first term, let alone run for a second term, but do you think it's going to happen? Well, look, I, I mean, he's certainly given every indication, and his wife has given every indication that she would support him if he, if he tries to do it. You know, to me, uh, the, the biggest, you know, factor that you have to take a look at is, you know, what is the economy going to be? Uh, and, and this is a guy who, you know, in, uh, he's been president for 25 months, and 23 of those months we have seen inflation over 5%, and we have seen 23 months in a row – where inflation is outpacing, outpacing wage gains. And so we've got, you know, really wage losses uh, on a real basis across the country right now. And, you know, instead of sitting down with his economists and saying, why do we have runaway inflation and, and, and what do we do to fix it, they, they are doubling down on it. If you look at the, at the budget proposal that he submitted uh, to Congress just a couple of weeks ago, it is, it is the most reckless, budget proposal that has ever been submitted by any president to any Congress. Uh, it's going to put our debt at over $50 trillion. Uh, it's going to have a $6.9 trillion overall budget. It is going to raise taxes, raise spending, raise deficits, you know, and, and would actually put us on a place where we would have the worst uh, GDP to, to uh, deficit ratio since World War II. And we're not fighting a world war right now. So, uh, you know, he wants to double down on his reckless spending, which is going to send the economy into a complete tailspin. You know, when you look at, at this, at what, you know, the, the Fed has to do to counter 
inflation. Well, they have to raise interest rates. What happens when you raise interest rates? All of a sudden, you have a bunch of banks start failing, and we've already seen three of them uh, that have failed in just the last couple of weeks. So, you know, this is going to be an inflationary spiral, very reminiscent of what we saw uh, in, you know, the, the late 1970s with Jimmy Carter. Yeah. But when you, uh, by the way, I, I agree, we, we're not in a declared war, but we're spending money like we are in a war, uh, was, and and we're depleting our own military, our munitions, and everything else as we send it over to uh, to the Ukraine. When um, it, it's interesting, you hear a lot in the news, uh, and the, and the mainstream media tries to make a big deal about infighting between Donald Trump and DeSantis. But there was an article out just yesterday, uh, well, a couple of articles over the last couple of days, in New York City, barely 50% want Joe to run again. But nationally, the the polling out there, it, 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 it's not good for Joe, it's not good for Kamala, and then your second-tier candidates on the Democrat side, uh, none of them get more than, I think the, the biggest one was uh, 5%, and uh, it, 20% of all the candidates, they they were 14% cumulatively. Uh, the biggest group, the biggest single designation by Democrats was just under the category of somebody else, please. The, the, the Democrats have no bench. What are they going to do? Well, I think you're absolutely right. And you look at the Republican side, we have an unbelievable bench. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not just Trump and DeSantis. We have people like Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley and, and Christy Noem. I mean, we've got an unbelievable uh, series of, of great uh, public policy uh, uh, makers and, and folks that have run for office with great experience. But you, you look on the Democratic side, you know, the biggest flaw with all of these candidates is that they all want the same thing. Yeah. It is a complete jailbreak to the left. And they are they are doing everything they can to win over those progressive votes, and you know there's not a one of them that is going to try and rein in this this unbelievably reckless inflationary spending. They're all you know patting themselves on the back and giving the president applause for his budget proposal, which is just completely uh, incongruent with the economic realities that we have today. What do you think is going to happen? You talk about inflation. What is going to happen with the debt ceiling? And uh, it's pretty obvious that Kevin McCarthy is dragging his feet on just giving carte blanche that, yeah, we're going to go ahead and let you all raise it wherever you want. But what do you think is actually going to happen? Well, I think we need to see some changes made. You know, I think that uh, you look at the spending levels that Joe Biden and the Democratic uh, Congress put in place over the last two years, that's the reason that our economy is completely out of source right now. And, you know, it is you have got to be able to have a discussion about reining in that, that level of, of reckless spending uh, with it. And for the president to say, absolutely not, not only am I going to not negotiate with you, I'm going to put forward a, a budget proposal that is going to put us into the highest deficits we have ever seen as a country. It, it just blows your mind uh, that that his lesson looking at this is we need to do more. I can't help but think that there are many in the Democrat Party that genuinely want to see the United States that we've known traditionally over the last 200 years to go down the tubes. 
Am I wrong? Well, it is. It, you're, you're, no, you're not, and it, and it is pretty galling. You know, I mean, when when the House uh, Republicans put a resolution on the floor to condemn socialism uh, and and all of the atrocities that we saw out of the Soviet Union, out of China, out of uh, other socialist countries around the world, you had a hundred Democrats that that said, "No, we're not voting for yeah. this resolution." Uh, you know, and 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 it is very clear. Uh, that they want to put America last. This is not an America first group. Um, and, you know, that they, they want to see us uh, humbled, as they put it, uh, humiliated on the world stage uh, and be shown up by the United Nations and others. And, and look, you know, one of the things about all of the Republican candidates, and it's not just Donald Trump, is they all want to put America first and they all want a strong United States, whether that's on the international front or on the domestic economy front. Uh, it, it is amazing to me that, that we have Democrat, uh, you know, members of, of Congress and, frankly, within the administration that are doing everything they can to hobble our economy and, and hurt our families and our farms and our small businesses. Interesting question for you, and, and this is total speculation, but I'm just curious because you got a lot of insight on this. How many how many candidates? I mean, remember uh, back in 2016, well, back in 2015, in the very early days of the last, uh, well, when Donald Trump finally ended up winning the election. I mean, we had two stages full of people when when it all got got started. The Republicans did. How many people do you would you speculate? Is it going to be like that again? Do you think we're going to have to have two separate debates to allow everybody to have their thirty seconds to speak their mind, or do you think it's going to be somewhat less than that? Well, what what I will say is this: that you know, we we uh, the RNC has scheduled the first debate uh, that's going to take place in August up in Milwaukee. Uh, and, and, you know, that, uh, you're really going to look at how many different candidates are going to be, uh, there, which is going to determine whether you're going to have two stages or, or just one. I mean, right now you've really only got two that are named candidates. You've right. got, you know, uh, obviously people expect, uh, that Governor DeSantis is going to get into the race. Uh, and you've got a number of others that, that are looking at it, uh, right now. But even, even now you've got some that, you know, have have uh, said that they're looking at it, that, that ultimately decided that they don't want to run. I think the biggest difference between, you know, 2015, 16, and, and today is um, that you have an incumbent president. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he's not an incumbent in terms of he's a current office holder, uh, but, but he is a past president, uh, whereas it was a completely wide-open field. Uh, in, in 2015 and 16, which is why you had so many people, uh, that were in there. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody is interested in giving Donald Trump or anybody else a free pass. I, I am a huge fan of primaries. I think primaries make federal general, uh, campaign candidates. I think that, you know, you have got to run. You've got to put your ideas on the table. Uh, you need to know what works and what doesn't with voters. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of primaries and the voters will tell you who they want. Um, you know, and it's not the, the, the Republican establishment in Washington. It's, it's not the Republican establishment in Raleigh, uh, that are going to win primaries. It is, it is the voters. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Listen, we're up against a break, but I do want to mention to, uh, to our audience that you are the new general counsel for the Republican National Committee. Congratulations on that. How is your job going to, 
Uh, you're going to be stretched, obviously. In fact, I think you're actually calling from uh, Washington today, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when I talked to Jeff earlier today. But um, how's your job going to change now with this new role? Well, I'm very excited that, that uh, you know, I get to keep my role as NCGOP chair because that is that is my first love. And when Rana called and asked me about it, I told her I did intend to run for the North Carolina party chair again. So I'm going to do that. You know, the, the biggest thing... Uh, that, that I'm going to do besides your traditional role as the general counsel for the RNC is have a very significant portfolio on election integrity. Um, and, you know, in North Carolina, uh, we built the largest, most effective election integrity program. We called it our ballot protection team. We had 11,000 volunteers all across North Carolina. They actually worked 25,000 shifts in the polls on Election Day. And that is a model that we want to see nationwide. And so Ron asked me if I would be willing to work with all of the other states to help them build programs like we did here uh, to make sure that we're protecting our ballot across the country. By the way, uh, do you plan to be at the Speedway with uh, our lieutenant governor on April the 22nd? You know, one of the great things about being the state party chair is that I cannot engage in a primary in any way, shape, or form. And uh, that, that gives me an opportunity to work with all of our candidates um, and and uh, get to duck a lot of really tough calls in, in primaries. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a that's a great thing for me. Um, but uh, so I, I will not be out there with them, but I do think uh, you're going to cause, you know, uh, quite a bit of stir and, and, and generate a lot of media there. Well, I, I'm sure you'll be uh, having an ear to the radio uh, on April the 22nd. Uh, but uh, we're, we're excited about uh, Mark Robinson and uh, his uh, high profile. I mean, he, he is the the probably the best known lieutenant governor in the entire nation. So uh, we looked with uh, great anticipation towards that. Michael Watley, thank you, sir, for joining us and uh, for your insights. Yes, sir, Tom. Okay. Absolutely great to be on with you. Look forward to talking to you soon. We'll do it. Appreciate it. Stay with us. I'll be right back. for all of the local stuff, you know, let me know what was going on in the local community. Eastern Carolina's news source is News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Um, in the first segment of the program, we were talking about the uh, shooting in Nashville and Audrey Hale, who is a trans man, biological woman who thinks she's a man. Um, there is a really, really interesting article in World Magazine written by Andrew Walker referring to a major study from KFF and the Washington Post. It's been released looking at the lives of transgender-identified Americans. The study boasts the largest results using random sampling, a method viewed as the gold standard for getting an accurate snapshot of current demographics. Two sections of the report reveal an unhappy snapshot of transgender-identified persons in America. According to the Washington Post's own summary of the report, quote, 
Compared with Americans as a whole, trans adults are more than twice as likely to say they experienced serious mental health problems, such as depression or anxiety, uh, while they were growing up, 78% versus 32% for the overall population in the United States. Just over half of trans adults say they had a happy childhood, 53%, but that rate is far lower than the 81% of Americans overall who said their childhood was happy. A uh, paragraph later in the report says, quote, Though 57% of trans adults say they are satisfied with their lives as a whole, that rate is lower than the U.S. adult population at large, of whom 73% say they are satisfied. More than half, 56% of trans adults, say they have felt anxious at least often in the past year compared to 31% of cisgender adults, and they are more than twice as likely as cis people to say they felt depressed, 48%, compared to 21%, or lonely, 45%, compared to 21% in the past year. The most robust study of transgenderism in America confirms that transgender acceptance is not a pathway to healing and wholeness. Indeed, to claim a transgender identity is to all but guarantee that happiness and wholeness remain elusive. And folks, again, this is from the Washington Post. Moreover, it's impossible to normalize the transgender experience when it correlates with a host of other psychological pathologies. The problem facing transgender-identified America is trying to reconcile a contradiction between a confused mind and a truthful body. The worldview contradiction is glaring. On one hand, we view anxiety and depression as maladies to be treated in order to diminish them. Yet, on the other hand, because of the political correctness surrounding the LGBT identities, we persist in telling persons to claim the very identity whose comorbidities suggest there's something intrinsic to the identity of transgenderism that is destabilizing and unhealthy. The common refrain from transgender activists is, there is nothing inherently wrong or problematic about identifying as transgender. The reason for depression, anxiety, and increased suicidal, suicidal thoughts stems from a bigoted culture rejection of individuals who are simply looking to live their authentic lives. This is simply false. No amount of public and cultural affirm, affirmation can erase the underlying facts of one's biological sex. The rejection of one's body is to put someone on the wrong side of a creation order. The problem facing transgender-identified America is trying to reconcile a contradiction between a confused mind and a truthful body. Tragically, reports of this kind will doubtlessly be used to marshal increased sympathy for the plight of the transgender-identified Americans. Sadly and ironically, it is those who see themselves as allies to the transgenders who are doing the most damage by continuing to collude with vulnerable and confused persons in furthering self-deception. Wow. I mean, and I didn't read all of the article, but that, again, written by Andrew Walker in World Magazine, but it's taken out of the Washington Post. If the Washington Post has finally come to this conclusion, we thank goodness for that, but, uh, boy, we have a major issue on our hands, and it's only going to get worse if we continue to go down this road. We've got to take another time out. We'll be right back. 
Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. It's interesting how our programs always seem to have a theme that I don't necessarily uh, script out, but it seems like they all fall into place. Red State is reporting Martina Navratilova has won 18 Grand Slam tournaments, including nine at Wilmington. She has penned an op-ed that was published in the Times of the UK about the recent decision by World Athletics to ban transgender women from elite female competitions if they've undergone male puberty, which the governing body said had to be taken to, quote, protect the future of the female category. She called on the decision a step in the right direction. Once someone has gone through male puberty, there's no way to erase the physical advantage. You cannot simply turn back the clock. She said, uh, or she rather, unlike most of those on both sides of this issue, offered a simple solution to the problem of the so-called biological males through pretending to be females uh, and are beating the you-know-what out of the females in sports. She called for a separate category for transgender athletes. Now listen, this is a great idea. Thank you for suggesting this. Uh, until there is a major shift in public sentiment, uh, they're not going to do it. They're not, it's not going to happen because it, it gives them no advantage. If they're the only guy on the female team, they've got a huge advantage. Uh, if they're competing against other biological males, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's might as well go on the junior varsity team. Uh, they're not going to do it. Hey, our thanks to... Uh, Michael Watley, the uh, Republican Party Chair for North Carolina. Thanks you to uh, joining us, and we'll do it again tomorrow at 5. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.